This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thorn Podcast. Frank, it's great to be on with you again. How has your week gone? My week has been good, thanks. And yours? How's the weather out there? Um, well, the weather's been lovely, but the hair's full of smoke. Um, we've got a big fire, two big fires just north of here. One is in northern Colorado and the other one's in southern Wyoming. And it looks like the fires are actually getting close to joining each other. So um, so that's been kind of a challenging situation. I'm definitely taking my N-acetylcysteine and my vitamin C and, you know, all the things I can to, to protect my lungs and not not spending a lot of time outside right now. Do you have any other suggestions for healthy lungs? Um, no, I think NAC is like, yep, I think, I don't know what else to suggest. Unless you want to get a glutathione nebulizer, but I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, yeah, I think that might be a bit much. I do prescribe those, though, for people with um, with chronic lung disorders. So do I, with great results. Yeah, yeah. So um, why don't we get back into our main topic on uh, on aging and kind of pick up where we left off and... I guess where I wanted to start was uh, an article that I just read in Vogue, which I sent you, that basically said, asked the question, is aging a disease that can be reversed? And I wanted to know your thoughts on that. What they were saying is, if it's a disease, then you can actually treat it with a medication like metformin or rapamycin or maybe even dietary supplements. So I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Right. So I have two comments. First of all, what the hell are you reading Vogue for? That's the surprising magazine <laughs> for you to read. Oh, I've got a lifetime subscription to it. And second of all, yeah, I don't think it's a disease <laughs> that can be cured. I mean, I, I do think that there are many mechanisms in the aging process that may predispose you to disease or you'll be um, you will develop diseases as we age you more prone to these diseases but I don't see it as a disease that can be cured I mean I do see one optimizing our health span as we age um, and we can age more uh, vibrantly and be more vital as we age and have less diseases but I don't really see it as a disease that one can cure and Metformin we should really speak about because I find it an interesting medication, but it's just a medication. I don't think it's a cure-all. It has interesting effects on aging, but like any other drug, it's always going to have some side effects. So, you know, I've been interested in dabbling with metformin, and I'd love to know your thoughts. I think um, we should talk about metformin, but I definitely don't see disease um, aging as a disease per se. 
I suppose it depends what, how you look at disease. But, you know, we're all going to age. We're all going to die. It's how, we, how gracefully and how well we age is what it's all about. Well, I can say that I'm not particularly fond of the aging process. So I, I understand the allure uh, of, of the notion that maybe there's something you can take that will slow it down. So I, I know why people are excited about it. I don't understand uh, Dave. I think it's Dave Asprey that says he wants to live to be 180. I don't want to live to be 180. Do you want to live to be 180? No, no, no. Not a, I agree. <laughs> I don't want to live to 182. <laughs> I mean, I just want to be as healthy as I can be and drop dead. And if I can drop dead by 110 <laughs> um, and be healthy until then, I'll be ecstatic. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting. Some of these people that do live to be uh, 117, 118, they ask them, what did you do to live that long? And they say, well, you know, I um, uh, I lived the way I wanted to live. I, I lived the life I wanted to live and I didn't follow any specific health practices. I didn't um, I, I didn't go out of my way to, to live a clean life. You know, if I wanted to drink alcohol, I did or uh, you know, I didn't necessarily exercise. So, uh, what do you think's going on there? Well, I, yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I mean, listen, you know, as you know, I've just written a book on aging. I know you very interested in aging. Both of us are getting older and we are obviously looking at ways we can optimize our health span. But, um, my experience with people has been, and, 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 and as much as I would be interested in dabbling with metformin maybe and I take supplements and I exercise and I meditate and I eat well I think more important are these little things that we take for granted on a daily basis and and that's also been my experience with older people as you point out you know most of the older people that I know who are healthy and older you know it's they don't really take their diet that seriously they either drink too much or they're still eating in a way that you wouldn't think they would be healthy. Um, some don't even exercise. I mean, everyone seems to have a different, you know, uh, different habits that you would expect are not particularly good for aging. So I, I agree. I think it's so much more complicated. And I think what we're doing with this whole aging thing is we doing what we do in Western medicine with a drug. We look for one mechanism and we try to stop that mechanism. And it's so much more complicated. So I think, you know, having a passion for life, having meaning in life, having a good support system, all these things that we don't pay that much attention to are probably more important than cutting down on animal protein because it's going to affect your mTOR and um, exercising in a certain way and um, doing all the things that we actually recommend which i'll continue to do anyway but i think it's it's much more complicated than yeah that. you know what it what it boils down to for me around metformin is should you prescribe it for healthy people i think that's really kind of what this whole discussion you know comes comes down to i don't have any hesitation to prescribe metformin for diabetics uh i do think it's a pretty decent drug, although that there was one study, I believe, in New England Journal of Medicine that said aggressive lifestyle changes were just as effective, if not more than effective, than metformin at improving blood sugar control. So I don't, 
I don't prescribe metformin as a magic bullet, but you know, if I see somebody uh, that's going into the early stages of diabetes, uh, I, I'm a little less reluctant to prescribe it now that it has uh, potential anti-aging properties. Um, so, so yeah, I will prescribe it when there's pathology going on. Um, I also think there's good data on it for people that have cancer. Uh, there's several clinical trials going on with metformin and breast cancer right now. Um, so I do include it as part of my regimen, say, for someone who is a, a woman that's been diagnosed with breast cancer and is now worried about secondary prevention. What can she do? And the oncologist is saying, well, you know, take take tamoxifen or anastrozole or something like that. And I would say, well, why not add metformin? So those are two scenarios where I think it's clearly beneficial. But then if a person comes to see me that says, well, you know, I am, I'm 50 years old. Should I take metformin uh, even though I'm healthy? Should I take it to live longer? I don't know. I mean, there is a study that's just underway called the TAME trial, T-A-M-E, that near Barzillai is heading. Uh, and they're trying to answer this question. And I think what they're, what they're aiming for is to see if they can get aging a, a disease designation by the government. You know, if they can say, hey, this is something we're treating, then, you know, maybe uh, they can get some kind of insurance coverage for treating aging. I, I personally see that as a long shot. It's kind of a, you know, this is going to be a long time before they can, they can prove that. But their, their argument is that the number one risk factor for any chronic disease is getting older. Right. No, no. And, I, and you know, I, I, I'm interested in that study too. So I think there's another, what I see as another probable indication is a pre-diabetic or someone who tends to have higher blood sugars. Um, and that's where I, that's where I sort of fit in. That's why I was thinking about it. So I think metformin, there's a place, but you know, so I have some questions for you. One is its effect on AMPK, which is seems to be different to its blood glucose effect, which is a positive thing. If it can actually stimulate AMPK, that's going to affect aging in a positive way. And then the 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 side effects, you know, B twelve malabsorption or not absorbing B twelve, you can get over that by taking B twelve. The exercise. The side effect of you know dampening the positive effects of exercise, and I'm sure there are many more. You know, we just don't really know. So that's that's the thing about metformin. So I'd like to hear your take on that. And the second thing, what what do you think about using berberine for you know with as in place of uh, metformin because that does have similar effects. Okay, great, great questions. Um, I uh, I totally agree that metformin is not without potential side effects. The way it seems to work, in in addition to inhibiting AMPK, and just for our listeners, what what is AMPK? It's uh, it's a it's an energy sensor. So when the cell is depleted of ATP, which is the energy currency of the cell, then AMPK notices that. So if you've got a low ATP 
and high AMP, adenosine monophosphate, that tells to the cell that energy is used up. So it activates AMPK, which then revs the cell up to make more energy. So, you know, where is that going to come in? Where is it going to be a problem? So when you go exercise, um, you burn through your ATP, and that stimulates the cell to activate mitochondria, and when you activate mitochondria, you can actually make more of them, a process called mitochondrial biogenesis. And that's a really good thing. The more mitochondria you have, the better you are at, at burning fat, you're more energy efficient, et cetera. So the, the general notion that activating AMPK is, uh, is a good thing is one that I definitely agree with. Um, but the other thing my, that uh, metformin does is it it mildly inhibits mitochondria. So that's a bit of a problem if you're a healthy person and you're taking metformin to prevent aging. But the other thing you do to prevent aging is exercise. So the, it seems like you're working at cross purposes here. Um, so that kind of segues into the third part of what you're asking is, is there anything else you could take? And I, I think... Uh, berberine is a much better choice. I take it myself. I take a gram a day of berberine. Uh, berberine does a lot of different things. It, um, it, it improves blood sugar regulation. It doesn't seem to have that same mitochondrial inhibition effect that, that metformin does, but it does activate AMPK. So it, it contributes to the biogenesis of mitochondria. It has uh, brain supportive properties. It's neuroprotective and it regulates the gut flora. So there's a lot of things about berberine that I find very intriguing. Now, I'm, I want to be clear. I'm not saying berberine is a magic pill, right? Just take it and you won't age and you can eat all you want. I, I don't think that, but I, it's definitely part of my you know, age management uh, protocol. Uh, which would also include things like nicotinamide riboside and resveratrol. I think they all they all go together. I, I would rather take uh, several things that are, are working to complement each other instead of, you know, just one potent drug like metformin or, or rapamycin, which a lot of people are really promoting rapamycin these days, and I, I'm really nervous about that. So do you, do you, ha do you follow the same kind of regimen? Yeah, so I, yes, I do. I take berberine. Um, I'm thinking of taking berber. You know, I take berberine. I'm thinking of taking metformin at a small dose, 500 milligrams, three or four times a week. But I, I don't know how smart that is. I'm pondering <laughs> that. Um, but yes, I do also take. Um, I should take Thorns um, nicotinamide diraboside with resveratrol and quercetin, which I love. I think you formulated that. So thank you. I take that and I take berberine, um, amongst other things. So yes, I do the same thing. You know, I've always been a little bit wary, maybe because of my brainwashing, by um, you know how I got taught to think about drugs and and medicine by you know my Chinese medicine teachers, that the herbal way of of when you take herbs, you you take the whole herb and you know some of the parts of the herbs mitigate the side effects. It's a much safer way of taking something than 
taking the active ingredient out of a plant or whatever and, and making a drug out of it and making it very focused and targeted. So I'm always more prone to take the herb if I'm going to get similar effects because there's less chance of the side effects. So yes, I do. My regime is more similar to yours, but I still can't say I'm not intrigued by metformin and thinking of taking it at a low dose, like 500 milligrams three or four times a week, if that's even worth doing it. Doing, I'm not sure. Rapamycin, I think, is crazy. I mean, that is really taking that concept of a targeted, focused on the, you know, the mTOR, um, and what there have been studies in some mice that it increases lifespan, and I know some people are taking it yeah. a few times a week. I, I, I And dogs, there's dog studies too. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's crazy. I mean, that to me is just what the hell. Um, so... <laughs> But I am intrigued by metformin because it's basically a benign drug. It's sometimes I've seen it upset people's stomach a little bit. And, you know, a B12, you know, deficiency or malabsorption. So to me, it's intriguing, but I am scared to dip my toes in the water. So you bring up, you, you brought up a question that I think is is has even bigger implications. You said, well, maybe I'll take it intermittently. And last uh, in the last podcast, we talked about hormesis, which is the idea that short bursts of stress that you might get from high intensity interval training or or jumping into a tub of cold water, the Wim Hof method, or maybe even um, short bouts of hypoxia, uh, you know, going up to high altitude for a brief period of time, not necessarily living at high altitude, but these short bursts of stress uh, can have a highly beneficial effect. And so based on that, some people have said what you want to do with either the drug or possibly the supplements is you want to pulse. And that they're even saying that the, the big uh, advocates of rapamycin are even saying that that's the way to use it is to pulse it. And, uh, and I think that fits in with this whole concept of intermittent fasting, like what's going on with intermittent fasting. Now, I, I do. I know you're a big advocate of it. I wonder if you saw the study that just came out in JAMA that claimed that intermittent fasting had no benefit. Yep, I saw the study. So my take on the studies, I've rarely or occasionally only use intermittent fasting for weight loss that's not really what are you I'm, I'm using it to sort of change biomarkers and I, there's no question i've seen um people's whether it's cardiac biomarkers in yes. biomarkers in general get better with time restricted eating so weight loss is always to me a side effect so, and i think that's what they were looking at the second part is you know i'm also usually almost always recommending intermittent fasting with a low-carb diet or, or lifestyle changes. I, I didn't get from that article that they did anything else except some intermittent fasting. So I don't, you know, you know and, and, yeah. once, and once again, maybe it's my bias. I've just seen this time-restricted work, time-restricted eating work over and over again in my patients with, um, when I've been monitoring their blood. So um, you know, maybe you don't use it as a weight loss regime, but if you use it in conjunction with the other things we recommend, 
I definitely see it as being helpful. So, uh, you know, like most studies, I think, you know, it needs to be taken in context. Not intermittent fasting is now not necessary because one study of 50 odd people, I mean, it is a small study, showed that it didn't work. So that's my take on it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, I think using it specifically as a weight loss tool as as the main endpoint of what you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, I think is a bit unrealistic. So that to me was the problem with the study. And there are plenty of other studies that show that it that intermittent fasting improves biomarkers. And and I want to be clear that what we're talking about right now is is time restricted feeding. The whole idea of going at least 16 hours overnight without eating and then restricting all your food to eight hours. So that's one type of, of intermittent fasting. There, I, I do want to acknowledge there's other types, which is every other day fasting, uh, a five day uh, a week regular diet, two days off. So there's several variations on it. But uh, as I think we mentioned last time, I, I most commonly recommend the time-restricted feeding just because people can implement it more easily. But I don't primarily use it as a weight loss intervention by itself. There's a lot of other things that I would do along with it. And, and you mentioned, you know, cutting out carbs, especially refined carbs. So simply compressing the amount of time you eat into an eight-hour or seven-hour window, that's, that's not going to magically make you lose weight. I think we keep looking for magic. We're looking for magic. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's good for one's health. You know, everyone's so used to snacking. I mean, the snacking industry is so huge here mm -hmm. that people have gotten so used to just snacking throughout the day. So I, I think the idea of, you know, eating within a restricted period is good for one's body, period. You know, if you lose weight, that's great. If you don't lose weight, I still think it's good for you. You know, how significant that study showing that uh, intermittent fasting doesn't cause weight loss is, is maybe not so important. I think what I've found is when people uh, eat their food in a restricted time period, they get positive health results. Maybe they don't lose weight. And I think generally it's a good idea to to eat your food in, in within seven or eight hours because most of us snack too much. You know, we have a culture of snacking. We have a food industry that makes billions of dollars off snacks, which is crazy. You know, it's it's so unnecessary. So I think just teaching your body to eat in a shorter time period and eliminating snacking is really good for your body. It's not particularly good to eat all day and snack all day as we've been programmed to do by the food industry. I was actually trained, I think, in, in medical school that that was a good way of eating is that kept people from having low blood sugar. So that you should plan snacks every two hours. Yeah. Um, you know, you should basically eat something all day, which is not the way our Paleolithic ancestors ate. Exactly. They would either feast or famine. They'd go out, you, you know, kill a buffalo or some big animal and... Um, and then feast for a day or two, and then not eat at all for a day or two. So that the argument's been made that that's how our genes have been programmed over millennia. 
Right. No, absolutely. I agree. So why don't we go to a break and then we'll come back and answer some questions. Now more than ever, it's important to have an optimally functioning immune system. Be ready for whatever life throws your way with Thorne's suite of immune support products. From immune supported vitamins to time-tested botanicals, Thorne has formulas that support immune function from every angle. Not sure what your body might be missing? Visit Thorne.com to take an immune quiz and receive a recommended immune solution that's right for you. Learn more at thorn.com. That's T-H-O-R-N-E.com. And we're back. Now it's time to answer a question from the community. Our question this week comes from listener at Dano, who asks, what are some of the red flags to look out for as we pass age 55? Um, well, I would say one of the first things is to, to monitor blood sugar because that seems to be one of the age creep scenarios that occurs. We've, we've been talking about metformin for blood sugar, et cetera, prediabetes. That can come on even in people who are not overweight. So I would say that's one of the first things to look out for. Uh, and another thing I would be concerned about is a, an increase in memory problems. We can accumulate things to worry about as we get older. So our brain has more uh, preoccupation, shall we say. And so there are a lot of reasons for forgetfulness. But I, I think uh, it's a good idea to monitor that and, and stay on top of that. And then the third thing is a loss of muscle mass which we touched on last time. So, and, and that I think uh, is partly related to exercise and partly related to diet. So, so Frank, I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are on, uh, on those three things and if anything else is a flag that you would say to look for. Yeah, and I, I agree with all of that, the blood sugar, forgetfulness, and then muscle mass is interesting because, you know, now that we know that too much animal protein may inhibit the nutrient sensor uh, or stimulate the nutrient sensor or longevity gene mTOR. And as I said, you said, maybe we should decrease some animal protein as we get older. I think the, the, what you need to be aware of or scared of is if you start losing muscle mass, that's probably more of a problem than eating animal protein and stimulating mTOR. I think losing muscle mass is a major, major issue with aging. Not only that the disability that it causes of not being able yes. to get around. People but, get prone to falls. Yeah, not only get prone to falls, but also the metabolic effects of muscle and even how that can affect your sugar metabolism. So I think the loss of muscle and sarcopenia is a major issue. And if... You are, if you need to eat more animal protein to keep your muscle mass on, then I would choose eat more animal protein to keep your muscle mass on. But that is a tricky question. So um, I think the, the loss of muscle mass is huge. And the other 
issue that I think is important is sleep. Because yes. this, this idea that we don't need as much sleep as we get older, I think is nonsense. I think it's harder to sleep well as we get older. I, I think that's an issue. Um, but we just need to pay more attention to our sleep as we get older. Because I think our sleep is as important, if not more important, when we're older than when, when we're younger. And I, I hear this all the time that uh, now that I'm older, I don't need as much sleep. So I, I don't think I agree with that concept. You don't need as much sleep. I just think you probably don't get as much sleep because it's harder to. And um, I think it's probably just as important and, and one needs to pay even more attention to sleep as one gets older. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Frank, it's, uh, it's a pleasure as always to get an opportunity to, to talk with you. Uh, this is Basically, what's passing for my social life these days is uh, is the interactions I have with you online and and other friends online. So, um, you know, this is this is our brave new world right now, uh, and and it's been a thrill, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. And we shall see you again. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.